0: Welcome to episode five of On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. The Ohio Hockey Digest is the foremost location for hockey in Ohio, covering every level played from youth and high school to juniors and pros articles written to keep the hockey community up to date on all the happenings in hockey in Ohio. My name is Tim Sullivan. I'm always joined by Jason Lewandowski and producer Dan Humphrey. We are adding a different element to the Digest with interviews and other such content, bringing voices, names, faces to interesting people, making the Ohio hockey community better. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest on Air Podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Hockey Project. Ohio Hockey Project is taking their training beyond the arena during the challenging COVID-19 pandemic with the Ohio Hockey Project at Home program. Ohio Hockey Project at Home is a virtual 1-hour session via Zoom 5 days a week. Sessions feature an array of professionals bringing their expertise of physical training, mental health, yoga, and functional medicine and peak sports performance. For more information and updates on Ohio Hockey Project at home, families can register at www.ohiohockeyproject.com or by calling Russ at 440-503-3432.
1: We'd like to thank last week's guest, Sebastian Ragno, head coach of the Menor Icebreakers for stopping by. Ragno just had the interim tag lifted. Young guy with Great drive and vision for where he wants to take the icebreakers. It was good to talk to him and get insight not only on his path to this point, but his views on goaltending and training improvements that all players have benefited from.
0: I look forward to seeing the uh, icebreakers play this year and see what they got going and what the the young coach has to offer, uh, especially coming off of a a pandemic like this where everybody and anybody is interested in uh, live sporting action of some sort.
1: Well, like Russ said uh, when, when we spoke with him, Russ Sinkowitz, can you imagine what the play is going to be like and the enthusiasm and the, the eagerness to just get out there after being off for so long? It, it's going to be fantastic, and I'm sure that will extend from youth hockey all the way up through the pro level, and it it should be pretty exciting to watch for sure.
0: Being able to talk to uh, Coach Ragno uh, last week and then button up that with uh, Aaron Portsline of The Athletic, and talking about the Columbus Blue Jackets at the NHL level, what it's going to be like when things get back to normal, if there is a normal, what the new normal may be, uh, and what his normal day should be like, and what it is like today with not having live coverage of the NHL when we should be in the playoffs it was a very interesting hour for us, I know, and hopefully for uh, the listeners as well. I really kind of like talking about the fact that when he was his his able to get trust from players and coaches so that he could interview them and write the correct, uh, articles, uh, especially with coach, uh, John Tortorella. That was a really interesting and unique, uh, take on his side of our sport.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I, I, if we weren't a family show, then maybe we could have got some more stories, but no, it was interesting to hear. Actually, one thing that struck me, like, it, it just it struck me, I don't know terminology. It struck me that, even for all the outbursts you see Tortorella give or whatever, that he follows it up with a sit down. So it's not just the, you know, brash and I'm going to batter you here. There's reasoning behind it. And it showed a personal side to Tortorella that most people will never, ever have a chance to see. So it was pretty cool to listen about that.
0: Yeah. And especially the passion that, uh, Aaron Porcelain really spoke about that uh, not only Coach Tortorella, but uh, a lot of the guys and if not all the guys in that room have for the game uh, and for each other. Absolutely. Well, this week's going to be kind of interesting week. We're going to dive into uh, in a, in a more professional hockey, but we're going to cover both genders this week, which I look forward to. It's always nice to be able to uh, pay homage to both genders in our sport because Uh, The the ladies game is is really rising, uh, almost just as fast as the men's game. Uh, We're able to sit down with Monsters head, uh, I'm sorry, Monsters assistant coach, uh, Trent Vogelhuber, uh, who also went to Miami of Ohio, and he's from Dublin, Ohio. He's a Calder Cup champ with the Monsters. So listen to this guy. This guy grew up in Dublin, Ohio, went to Miami of Ohio, got to play for the Monsters in Cleveland, Ohio, and won a a Calder Cup uh, for the Monsters what a great, you know, what a great uh, path he's had. So we look forward to talking to him. We also look forward to talking to Shauna Conway, who is the women's head prep coach at Gilmore Academy. We talked to her about her path, uh, not only playing in all levels, youth, NCAA, pro hockey uh, across the pond in North America, but also what it's like having to play on the boys team as a young lady and what, it, what the future holds for women's hockey, uh, not only here in the Cleveland area, but also Ohio and, and the country as well.
1: I know we talk about, you know, people having, I don't say illustrious careers, but, but uh, adventurous careers and taking them all over the place and different, uh, different avenues. Well, Shauna Conway, in my opinion, takes the cake. I mean, you go from growing up here in Ohio to then going to Canada and to St. Catharines playing coming back NCAA hockey going back to Canada ending up in Ireland playing for Ireland all I mean coaching in Finland coaching in the states coaching in Canada. I mean she's done it all she's a very successful business person in the law field she's it's it's just it's admirable and it, it by far takes the cake on everyone we've had so far and probably everyone we will ever have
0: right and we're so fortunate that she uh has agreed to come on and share her story and talk about the state of women's hockey right now in uh in the country so look forward to that have a great show on on hand but as always you know the three of us we do our thing uh every week is a little bit different Uh, i know last week we talked about having to give ourselves haircuts hopefully that's not gonna uh, uh stand here much longer but how's everybody doing jay i think you're back to work right
1: yeah today went back to work today uh I was like a kid in a candy store, happy to be one out of the house, two partly away from my kids who drive me bananas. They're great, but okay. Uh, no, it was a lot of fun to get back to work, get back and seeing people. The amount of people uh, with masks on was astonishing. I was in downtown today, so obviously the clientele uh, needed to be safe and, and they were. But uh, yeah, it was it was, I don't know what normal is. We've talked about it a million times since this all went down that What is going to be normal? Is it a new normal? Is it just, it is what it is. And to be honest with you over the last eight weeks that I've been sitting still and pretty much doing nothing, but hanging out with you guys once a week is do we really want it to go back to what it was? I don't think so to an extent. Yes. But Hey man, things happen for a reason. So
0: yeah, you you could, I mean, we could have these conversations with the hundred, maybe, and maybe we should get a group of, of people, whether it be hockey people, not hockey people and talk about, do we want it to go back to the old normal? I would agree. Some people would say, no, probably not because it was too fast, right? It was just too fast paced. Everything was just, you know, there wasn't enough time in the day to get everything done that we need for this for this now uh, world we live in. And then other people might argue and say, hey, that, that normal is what got us to where we were today. And I know that's not hockey talk, but we can uh, definitely probably agree that there's a, a whole, di- whole set of people that would believe that the new normal is better than the old normal and vice versa. Uh, I was out the, this weekend. It was great. It was a beautiful weekend up here in Cleveland. I was out. Uh, we went down to uh, Huntington Beach and did some uh, just walking around. And the, and the amount of people down there that were social distancing themselves and understand it, it was pretty good. Danny, you and I got to go play golf on Saturday. That was fun. Uh, and I was very impressed with how crowded the golf course was and how people reacted to the way uh, that the governor and, and the way that the new normal is going to be you know so
2: yeah I mean it was a uh, beautiful weather on Saturday to get out to the course and like you said I you know like a better term I was really impressed with how they were running everything with social distancing but then also you know you you read all this stuff online people like it people don't like it but everyone's buying into it to a certain
0: extent so that was you know good to see I don't know if people I don't know if people were, were so buying into it on Saturday the golf course because they were so happy just to get out of the damn house or, or or whatever they were. I don't know. But I don't know, man. If someone if someone told me I had to go stand eight feet away from somebody, but I could go out and play golf, okay. I'll stand ten then. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. seriously. Exactly.
2: What was
1: what was the what was the setup? Was it uh a, a guy per cart? Was it two in a cart? I mean what were we doing?
0: Yeah, it was a guy per cart. Uh and then they would allow four uh, golfers in the clubhouse, but it was a full operating clubhouse. You know, your your snack bar was open. They were serving your pop, your beer, your do- hot dogs. Um, they had social distancing when it came to paying. Uh, you could only pay with a cart with a either a debit card or credit card. Uh, they put the, the the pool noodle noodle, you know, which you float the things you float with in the pools. They put those at the bottom of the uh, of the pins, so you didn't have to touch the pins. So not, the pins never came out. I mean, our round, we played 18. I mean, it was my first time out, so I probably took a little longer. I was hacking the hell out of the place. But um, I feel bad for the the course management. They definitely have to fix some new holes in the course. But uh, I think our, what was it, Dan, four hours, 10 minutes, we got through 18?
2: Yeah, I mean, just over four hours. It was, I mean, we were moving pretty quick for everybody kind of being on their own. But like Sully said, it it was just nice to get out and to, to do something other than sitting at home um, absolutely to add some stuff so, you know everything's closed down pretty much all summer to zoo children's museum pools all that good stuff so uh two days ago the wife decided to buy a uh, roller coaster track car thing for the kid and then uh <laughs>
0: last hey, tell night how old, how, how old is your son
2: he is he'll be two in june okay so
0: you're not you're in the thick of it right now
2: yep and then uh last night it's i'm down in the basement it gets a little quiet i go upstairs and she's sitting in front of a computer and she's got this online bidding thing going on and today i had to go pick up an inflatable jump house that's now going in the basement and then she's telling me that the petting zoo is coming next so
0: it it's 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 literally going to be uh like a, a summer camp over at dan's house i can't wait you so. want to
1: get her to slow down. You want to get her to slow down. Here's my here's my suggestion. You buy you she buys the jump house. You spend more time in it than the kid. <laughs> that roller coaster. Maybe you have a couple pops. You want to see how fast you can go down the driveway. I don't know, but it might get her to stop doing it. Just a hunch, and I have no problems with that because heck, we put a, a playground set in our backyard, so I understand.
0: Yeah, that's that. That's great. That's great, Jay. You still haven't got your haircut. I see.
1: Oh, good God, no! Oh no, no! There's only one person that touches my hair, and since those uh, establishments aren't open, I will not be cutting my hair until it's time.
0: Does it still look like you uh, put your finger in a socket, or what? Here, let me
1: give you. Let me give you an example, boys. Let's get it going here. There we go. Let's see how well, the. Let's see how today's guests enjoy this view when they come on, huh? I'm
0: gonna. I'm gonna. I did. I got. I can't tell a lie. I did take a picture of that and I'm gonna send it to Scott Harrington. Hopefully, I haven't put it on. Oh, that's on fine. Web, on the website. Hey, before we get to the news yeah uh, how about before
1: up. we before we get to the news did you cut your hair there guy what no no not yet. It. come on I, nobody I can I don't it. have my phone look my hands are right here I'm not no
0: listen I got I told you I got I got a complete cul de sac I don't you know I've got hair on the side and then <laughs> got a cul-de-sac going there you oh,
3: know, I, I, I,
0: I made I made a dumb comment about 50 days ago that I'm not going to uh, cut my hair until I can go in and buy wings and, and get a beer and boy that's not gonna looks like it's happening anytime soon Uh, But off off that topic, hey, uh, before we get to the news, as always, the Hockey Digest and ourselves want to thank all the doctors and nurses and first responders out there that are keeping us safe during this uh, rough time. So we definitely thank you guys. Um, As an educator, um, today is and this week is uh, National Teachers Week and Appreciation Week, and I want to thank all the teachers and educators and staff members that work in the school's uh, alongside myself, but all over the uh, the country and the world, especially during this time. Uh, not, I mean, not just during this time, but this time has been very hard on them. So thank you for all that you do.
1: Yeah, no, uh, I was down near the, one of the hospitals today and it was the same old hustle bustle and people taking excellent precautions. And, you know, it's, these people take an oath and, and they swear by it and, to put themselves in harm's way every day. Those that are specifically on COVID floors, those that are just in and around the patients that are the sickest. And, 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 and just, I mean, you can't hats off. Doesn't do it justice. I mean, you, you put yourself in harm's way every single day because that's your passion and that's your drive and that's the oath you took and God bless you. God bless you. I mean, you're, you're, you're just doing God's work and, and trying to keep everybody safe and, you know, it kind of, I don't know, not to get political, but then I look at the people that want the state states back open. I understand both sides of it. And it's, you know, it is what it is. We're not a political show, and, and my opinions are hogwash anyway. What do I know? I just talked to you guys about hockey. But excellent, uh, as always, Sully, to uh, commend those that, that look out for us and the doctors, the nurses, the first responders, uh, police force, the fire departments, all first responders, all, all healthcare care people. Thank you for what you do. It's, it's a godsend.
0: All right, let's get some news for this week. Uh, finally, an announcement of stuff we can actually talk about that's going to be opening and happening. Uh, this will include Columbus Mavericks and Toledo Cherokee, as well as the Lake Erie Bighorns of Erie, Pennsylvania, and the Fort Wayne Spacemen. Also, uh, we cover, I know we're supposed to, you know, the Ohio Hockey Digest, but we do cover some outlying areas as well. The USPHL announces the 2020 2021 season start dates. The United States Premier Hockey League has announced its starting dates for the 2020 2021 season for all midget and junior divisions. The United States Premier Hockey League 18U, 16U, 15U full season midget seasons will open with league games at the Tier 1 Labor Day faceoff at, so- at Foxborough Sports Center in Foxborough, Massachusetts, September 4th through the 6th, 2020. The Tier 2 Tuition Free National Collegiate Development Conference, the NCDC, as well as the Tier 3 US PHL Premier and US PHL Elite divisions will open play on the weekend of September 25th to the 27th, 2020. The United States Premier Hockey League of the 2020 and 2021 will be the nation's largest amateur ice hockey league and the only league to span the continental United States and parts of Canada. The United States Premier Hockey League will field approximately 550 teams representing over 100 organizations, comprised of 11,000 players spanning the ages of 6 through 20. Overall, across all of its divisions, the USPHL had more than 1,200 alumni playing college hockey in 2019 and 20, and more than 250 playing pro hockey, including the NHL. If you want to learn more about the USPHL, you can go to the USPHL.com.
1: The North American Hockey League has announced that it has made two major changes to the 2020 draft process. The North American League has added a new supplemental draft, which will be held on Tuesday, May 12th, while the regular North American entry draft will now be held on Tuesday, July 21st. The supplemental draft will consist of 81 selections, with each of the 27 North American teams receiving three picks. The draft order will be determined by the order of the North American Hockey League entry draft. In addition, each North American Hockey League team will be given an additional tender on May 13th, which can be used following the supplemental draft. Northeast General's Assistant General Manager, Cody Ganyu, explains the reason for splitting up the
0: draft.
3: So the purpose for this year's change in draft process within the North American Hockey League is so that we could still have an opportunity to see the players on the ice during our pre-draft camp processes. Uh, We're hoping that uh, the beginning of July, uh, or more towards the middle of July, perhaps teams can fit in pre-draft camps so that we could still get a look at players, uh, players that are interested in our teams, and uh, provide uh, feedback to the players as we then select the remaining portions of our draft this year. The Youngstown Phantoms,
1: in conjunction with the United States Hockey League, have announced that Phantoms forward Trevor Kuntar has been named to the All-USHL second team for the 2019-2020 season. Kuntar, 19, is a Buffalo, New York native and is committed to Harvard University. He represented the United States at the 2019 World Junior H Challenge in Dawson Creek, British Columbia, and led Youngstown in scoring for the 2019-2020 season. Kuntar played three seasons for the fandoms from 2017 to 2020 and is eligible for the 2020 NHL
0: draft. Long Island University is adding a Division I men's hockey team for the upcoming 2021 season. Long Island University announced Thursday the addition of the NCAA Division I men's hockey team with immediate recruitment and competition slated to begin in 2020 and 21, according to a news release. A national search for the head coach will begin immediately. We are thrilled to be adding men's ice hockey to the sport opportunities for our student-athletes here at Long Island University. Athletic Director Dr. William Martoff made in a statement, the NCAA Division I men's hockey is one of the most exciting sports out there, and we are pleased to be able to provide another opportunity for young hockey players nationwide, said Dr. Martoff. Jomi, look at this. It's a school of no more than 17,000 kids in Brooklyn, New York, and they're they're being they're going to, host a division one men's hockey team starting in five months in the middle of a pandemic
1: best of luck <laughs> no i mean in all seriousness that's fantastic anytime the game can grow at a division one level which is fast-paced and exciting to watch anytime the game can grow period it's exciting now try to spin it with a with a pandemic going on i mean that it's an uphill climb to begin with um, It's awesome. Um, obviously it can be done. It will be done, but you know, God bless them for, for trying to do it now. And, and hell, man, if there's a will, there's a way they'll get it done.
0: The 2019, 2020 morning journal hockey all-stars were named this week and the Player of the year went to Jacob Kramer, a senior from Amherst high school. Kramer, once again, turned in a stellar season, pouring in 114 points, 58 goals and 56 assists and earning first-team All-Ohio honors. With Kramer leading the way, Amherst once again won the SWC title, the Barron Cup 2, and earned a five-seed in the playoffs. Kramer also set individual records, becoming the Ohio High School Athletic Association all-time leader in points with 471 throughout his career and 259 assists, while moving into second place all-time in goals with 259. Amherst head coach Steve Morris says Kramer played a big role in the rebirth of Amherst program over the last four years.
3: Yeah, Jacob uh, Kramer being named player of the year is a great honor for him and the program that's a very, very um, deserving award for him considering uh, where we were four years ago when the program came back, Jacob was very instrumental in bringing the program to the level that it is along with uh, a lot of other players but his ability to be such a great, silent leader, uh, go out, work hard every day in practice, do the same thing in games and and try and carry the team at at points during the season uh, on his back. And, uh, you know, if you look at our record, uh, it's a great reflection of his leadership and his ability to be such a team person. And then along with that, uh, when the team does well, obviously, um I think Jacob get reward with individual honors, and it's very, very well-deserved. So congratulations to Jacob, and thank you. Kramer said he didn't do it alone. I feel honored to have been chosen for the Morning Journal's Hockey Player of the Year. I am truly blessed to have made such great memories over my past four years as a comment, and I want to thank all those teammates and coaches that have helped me earn this award. Also, special thanks to my family, especially my younger brother, Joey, for always motivating me throughout my hockey career.
0: Players that also made the Morning Journal Hockey All-Star team, you can go to OhioHockeyDigest.com to see the full list. We congratulate all the players from the Morning Journal's Hockey All-Stars. Let's get on air with our first guest, Shauna Conway from Gilmore Academy Women's Prep Hockey Team. Our first guest is women's hockey in the state of Ohio, the current head coach of the women's prep team at Gilmore Academy. She has played at every level from youth to high school, to NCAA, to pro in North America and internationally in the IIHF. Her coaching resume spans both sides of the globe as well, from Finland and Ireland to Canada and the United States. From the Conway Goaltending School and Gilmore Academy, let's welcome on air, Shauna Conway. Welcome to the show, Shauna.
4: Thank you so much for that lovely introduction. That was very
0: sweet. I think your dogs are trying to uh, try to jump in on the introduction as well. Uh Oh,
4: <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, one of my brothers pulled in uh, at the perfect time when this was supposed to start. So
0: that's what makes this such a good show is, you know, this is, there's no professionalism when it comes to our show. Uh, it's all about just learning about the great game of hockey. Who's in the game, what the game's about and, if there's dogs barking, there's dogs barking. It's the way it is.
1: We're keeping it real. It's
0: life. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Especially yeah. in today's world, it is life.
1: Yeah. So Shauna, you you grew up in a hockey playing family, to say the yes. least. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that. You have three brothers who all played or are still playing. Uh, yeah. What was it like growing up in a, in that house? And why <laughs> is Declan not a goalie?
4: Oh, wow. Okay. Well, the funny part is, is I'm actually the oldest of the four. So we're not originally a hockey family, uh, to to be true to our history. My parents are both athletes, but they were not hockey players. So my dad was a rugby guy, and my mother played basketball. Um, but we grew up in Concord, Ohio on Bradley Court. And um, our next door neighbors when we moved into that house were the Okiki family. So if any of you... I've been around Cleveland Hockey long enough, you know, the O'Kickys. And I don't know. I sure, for sure. Yeah, right. I don't know what it was or what day it was, but suddenly we were just like, well, we want to try what they're doing. So we did. We went down to the Menor Ice Arena and my mother signed us up for skating, but I thought I was going to be a figure skater. I don't even really think I realized that I could play hockey until about two or three years into figure skating, realizing that wasn't for me. And then I said, no, time out. I'm going to do this hockey thing so neil the second oldest of the siblings was actually the first hockey player then i started then the twins came along the last two and they played so we really did grow up playing but neil was the first and um three of us became goalies and declan um is the one person who's left-handed in the family he's got um I don't know the most skill out of all four of the kids, and he decided <laughs> <laughs> he decided to be a forward, which is definitely the right choice because he's uh, pretty talented. But yeah, I don't know. He was the black sheep, I guess.
0: You know, in today's um, hockey, we see the growth of the women's game tremendously, um, and you know, of course, we'd like to see it grow f- grow faster and, mm-hmm. and a little bit and a little bit more, and especially down in the youth group. Uh, obviously a lot of the the young ladies, when they start to play, they have to play on the boys team to get started. And then they can transition into the, into the women's, all women's team. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously having your brothers that probably help you prepare uh, to be playing on the boys team, right? Because that can be shocking, you know, as a a young girl getting thrown on an all boys team. So, you know, talk to us a little bit about obviously having the brothers help you go through that, that process, but also, you know, the process of having our young ladies now, uh, playing on the boys, team, then transitioning into the girls.
4: Yeah. Having three brothers and then the Okiki family being 50 feet away and having three more brothers really to grow up with, um, and getting your butt kicked, you know, getting, uh, tennis balls, you know, slap shot into your face. The first time you offered to play net and then <laughs> trying <laughs> to keep, trying to keep up with the neighborhood, uh, your whole childhood helps. Um, I think that it is tough. Some girls might be more well-adjusted than I was. I kind of struggled socially on boys' teams. I just you miss out on you know the dressing room camaraderie. Obviously, you're getting dressed in bathrooms and boiler rooms and lobbies. And I think I growing up I was able to manage it, but I did miss out on a lot, and it wasn't necessarily I think as fun as um, it is when you transition over to the girls' game. And then you get to have those relationships that extend beyond the arena. So I think that I didn't realize how much fun I was going to have when I moved over to the girls game. I was kind of like, oh, it won't be as good. But not only was I totally wrong about the skill level and abilities of my teammates, I realized that hockey was so much more fun when you have all of these uh, friendships that last a lifetime.
0: So So, let let me ask you a quick question about that. And, and, you know, if there's there's a young, you know, there's a family of a young uh, lady out there that is on the boys team right now that is going through the, those same emotions right now. Like I, I miss that. Um, and, and I, I, listen, I'll, I i do not know if you know my story, but my, my daughter played, uh, hockey, uh, squirts and that first year at PeeWee. And it just, she was frustrated with being on the all boys team. Right. Yeah. So, so I live that Shauna, like I lived as a parent, I lived that, that, um, so what would you, what, what advice would you give to a young lady like that?
4: I would say that there, it's tough because what I'm telling you is, um, you know, make more time than you already have, which can be impossible for families. But if you can get your child access to girls hockey, even if it's just in a really limited sense, as in maybe she's only a U10 or a 12 and she can only do a few girls tournaments, um, that can be really helpful because that can sort of bring to life a whole other part of the game that, again, is on the bench, in the locker room. On the way to the rink, at the hotel, all of the, all of the really fun stuff that makes hockey the greatest game in the world, they can miss out on if they're just doing boys. So if you can get her access to that in any way, even if it's just like a week long summer girls camp, right. um, in some way to make those connections, because you know some of the boys I grew up with playing were fantastic. It's definitely not to knock that situation, but it can be tough. And then once the game gets a little more physical um you know it can be a little more intimidating and um you can kind of find yourself not necessarily scared but not necessarily um feeling overly confident as you go into bantams and midgets so you know i think um the girls game can grow you socially but it can also grow your confidence so try to do both i guess is the long or the short winded response to your very simple question is if you can do both do both playing boys will help you be really competitive it'll help get your skill set really high but playing with the girls can do that and it can give you um a lot more
1: well shauna when when we were researching you obviously we know who you are we've known (laughs) who you are um and then to go ahead and read every single place you've played every (laughs) accomplishment you've earned it it was just it was awesome it was it, it was awesome amazing and You've played and coached in a lot of different places, but can you kind of give us a, a, a I guess, highlights of your playing career from youth all the way up? Ooh.
4: well, I played Gilmore Boys Varsity, so I was actually a Gilmore student before they had the girls prep program. Um, it, it became a girls program, as in they started the girls program as I was leaving. Um, I graduated from Ridley College actually, so I did my final year, my senior year at uh, Ridley College in St. Catharines, Ontario. I played girls and boys there, which was really cool. Um, And then I went to the University of New Hampshire. Um, That was amazing. Durham, New Hampshire is a beautiful, tiny little college town, and it's wonderful. Um, I unfortunately didn't graduate from there. I spent a year and a little bit there. We did have a coaching change, which is not out of the ordinary in the NCAA. Coaches move around a lot, hired, fired, not an easy place to work. Um, And my head coach who recruited me was fired. And I think out of the seven girls that were in my class, six of us moved on to other places. And that's sort of what happens a lot is once a new coach comes in, they wanna bring in their kids and their people. Um, so there wasn't really room for me, and as a goalie, that's going to happen. I mean, it can be tough to find a place where you're going to play, so the best thing for me was to move on. I went to Montreal, a place that I love and hold dear to my heart. I was in Montreal. I played in the National Women's Hockey League there. Then I really missed the college atmosphere, so I wanted to finish my collegiate career. I went to Toronto, which is another great city. played in Toronto for a few years at York University, And then it was, I thought I was done. I had moved around enough, thought hockey was over. So I was actually going to go to Europe, um, specifically Ireland, and just study, um, get a master's degree, do the backpacking thing. And then, I don't know, fates collided. I found out I was entitled to an Irish passport. The Irish um, Ice Hockey Association was going to field a women's team, a national team. I was there at the right time, right place. Had my gear brought over, and um, ended up playing in Ireland for several years. Played for their national team and coached a lot over there, and helped sort of grow the game um, as much as I could when I was there. So,
3: well, uh,
0: that makes me want to get my passport and do some traveling real quick. You uh, should. Yeah, I know, absolutely, absolutely. Once my girls get out of high school, then I'm then I'm gone to do some traveling. Uh, Shauna. Okay. And this is probably, this is not a hockey question because listening to all that you just did right there, whether it be United States, Canada, Europe, whatever, what was your favorite place? Where was your favorite place to live?
4: Uh, well, I do love Montreal. That's one of the greatest cities in the world. Um, but I think I remember my time most fondly in Ireland. Um, as much as I love being home in Cleveland, that I wouldn't change that. My hockey memories, um, and you know, they're just something I'm being about. In your, you know. Mid 20s, that's you know wonderful too. I was playing hockey, I was traveling internationally, I was in law school, um, so I was having the time of my life when I was in Ireland. Um, so that is probably uh, you know my favorite place, my favorite time. Um, I was in Dublin, which is a really bustling, beautiful city, so that was probably my favorite. Montreal takes a close uh, silver medal.
1: So, how did, how did the fans, how were the fans in Ireland? For the women's game, how were the fans for ho- for for in Ireland for the for hockey in general, but for the women's game as well? Yeah, we uh, it was a really
4: small community, so kind of in the sense that in Cleveland, I would say that yeah, it's a smaller sport, but the the people that love it are like cultish and its following. Mm-hmm. Um, Ireland was the same. Now, because of the European Union, there was tons of different Eastern Europeans living in and around Dublin and other cities um, close by. So you have a lot of Latvians, you had a lot of Slovakians, a lot of Czechs, Polish, um, Russians even. Um, So the hockey community was very diverse. And then you actually even have a lot of Canadians that come over to go to medical school in Ireland, um, because it's cheaper. And then you actually get into the medical field like in the hospital much quicker than you do um if you go to medical school in north america so we had a really diverse um community of hockey players there was one ice rink in southern ireland it's actually now closed which is tragic but um was a really small community of people that were hockey crazy Um, the latvians by far i don't know if you've heard about it from anybody but they are the craziest hockey fans (laughs) i have ever seen they will riot over just a Wednesday night men's league game. Um, <laughs> they love it. Um, and they define for, they define yeah.
0: fanatic. They define fanatic,
4: right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. But Ireland is a really big sporting place. I mean, rugby is massive. Their traditional Gaelic sports of hurling um, and uh, Gaelic football are huge. They love sports there. So we had you know, people that were really invested in learning how to skate, learning how to play and making it all happen. So it was kind of nice to be around um, when people were falling in love with the game um, from day one.
0: So from, from day one, when you went there and to where the growth is in Ireland now with the women's game um, have they really adopted into that?
4: Well, the tragedy is that the ice rink closed um, at the time of the recession. So it was in Dundalk, which is an hour North of Dublin. Um, and it's halfway between Dublin and Belfast. Um, The good news-ish is that Belfast, which is part of the United Kingdom, um, they've had hockey for over 30 years, um, and obviously the Belfast Giants are there. So they have a strong youth program. They have strong players that come out of there that play for Great Britain. So there still is the opportunity for people that live in the Republic of Ireland to travel up there and play hockey, but the game is suffering a little bit in the South, um, and what they have done to try to Survive is actually play a lot of inline hockey, um, so not the same, but still, I mean, there's tons of really great players that come out of California's inline system. So it's what they're gonna have to do for now until they can find somebody to open up a rink.
1: So was the next move after playing coaching was it always on your mind, and was it a natural transition for you to go from the playing days into the coaching?
4: Yeah, I think so. I, um, I always worked like summer camps as a kid, as a teenager growing up. So I really liked spending my summer that way. Um, whether, you know, you're on the ice or you're taking care of kids in the residence hall and, um, you know, learning how to do all that summer camp stuff. And then as I got older and I knew that it was going to be over soon, I got a little more into goalie coaching. So, um, you know, I really liked the one-on-one of that. I liked the mentoring process and, you know, trying to help kids as they go through the position. And there's a lot of adversity for goalies, and I love that. But then I really even started to love, um, you know, the assistant coach piece and then the head coach piece and, and learning more about the game and sort of taking on some of the things I learned in college um, you know, to sort of understand the game from a different perspective. So it sort of evolves just on its own. I don't know if it was organic or if it was um, fate, but I started to think, huh, I wonder if I could be on the bench. Um, So I tried it out a little bit here and there, and then um, got this wonderful opportunity to work for Gilmore. So um, I think it was natural. I don't think it's necessarily natural that um, the goalie coach will always become the head coach, but um, if you kind of look. Um, at the
0: professional ranks, there are a lot of great head coaches that were formerly goalies. So. For sure, for sure, for sure. Now, you're you're you know, you talked earlier uh, in the interview about your start in hockey and playing with the boys, and then going to Gilmore and playing on the boys' team, and going to Ridley and playing on both teams over there. The development pipeline for the girls today, compared to when you went through it, um, obviously has changed uh, do you find it to be more of an advantage or disadvantage? And, you know, and, and what can you speak about, about how that pipeline uh, is today compared to when you went through it?
4: Yeah, it is really different. And I think that's really important to say, I'm actually getting up there. Um, (laughs) pretty old. So the game has grown leaps and bounds. I mean, even four or five years ago, when I was first thinking about, um, doing this as much as I could being a part of the girls game, it's changed. So, um, You know, it's important, I think, that um, to say that it seems to be the case that a girl who grows up playing a high level of boys hockey is likely to have a really high skill set, compete level, um, and um, is going to be at an advantage. But, you know, there's also the fair point that if your goal is to make it to the NCAA and Division I, being in front of those scouts is important. And the more they see you, um, the better it is. And so they will see you at different tournaments and whatever league games you play in. And then they're also going to be able to see you at maybe like a national camp or a district camp. So your exposure in the girls game, um, you're just going to have a much higher percentage if you're playing girls hockey. Uh, And I also think, um, you know, depending on where you're from and what teams you have access to, if you watch some of the highest, you know, girls' youth teams, you know, whether we're talking about Shattuck-St. Mary's, maybe, or um, you know, Bell Tire, I mean, those are incredible players. And so I think it's easy to say, "Oh, girls' hockey just isn't good enough. I have to play boys." It really is really good, um, and you can become a great player um, if you're committed to your girls' program and you're putting in hard work um, on your skill set, on your fitness, on your you know, hockey IQ. I You know, I think girls' hockey at its highest level is phenomenal, so
1: well, as a coach at Gilmore, you've helped so many girls move on to college. What do you want people to know about the women's hockey game specifically here in Ohio?
4: That's a really awesome question. I'm so glad you asked. Um, we have some amazing players that come out of Northeast Ohio. Um, we are a smaller market, there's no doubt about it. So in order to be as competitive competitive, excuse me as possible. We do have other players from other areas. For example, this year on our prep team, we had two Latvians, um, we had a Slovenian, uh, we had a girl from Spain, we had a girl from Finland. So we can sort of, you know, up our talent level by bringing in some um, girls from different areas. But we also have the very best of the best from Cleveland, which is very important to me. And really, the only reason why I left my very stable government job to work for Gilmore, is um, My goal um, is to grow the game, uh, grow the women's game in Northeast Ohio, and make sure our talent stays here. Um, Because we have, in the past, had our very best players who are right now playing Division One and, or um, you know, have played in the Olympics and all of that. They've had to leave. I want to make sure that every elite player um, in Northeast Ohio has a great team to play for in Cleveland, and then you know, every other girl, even if she is not elite, um, has a place to play in Cleveland. So that's what's most important to me.
0: And that, that's, that's great. I mean, that's, you know, we, we've, we you know, Danny, Jay and I are, are involved in, in the hockey community here in Cleveland and in the state. And we definitely know those girls that um, are at that high level. And we got a lot of them here in Cleveland. I mean, there's, I know personally, some of the girls on your team, and they're, you know, they're so fun to watch. They're fun to be around. And, and I really, uh, I, you know, I look forward to continue watching them grow. Um, now, with that, though, you know, you, you coach the prep team. And, you know, do you ever think that there would be an established or, or, uh, or could we establish uh, a varsity side to that through the Ohio High School Athletic Association? Um, that, you know, every, every, every girl is different. Every hockey player is different. I know they do it in Minnesota. They do it in New England. Um, what's your thoughts on that, uh, about that?
4: Well, I'm really glad you asked that question too, because that I think is huge. And I, I would love to even hear your opinions on how you get access to the OHSAA and whoever makes decisions, because I think it would serve us really well
2: here. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. sorry. I
4: saw the hands go
1: up. Yeah, like oh, um, we don't know.
2: <laughs> Do you notice how you notice how I didn't say a word?
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's why he's he's the head coach and I'm an assistant. I can say the things he can't. Don't worry, I'll edit all this out. (laughs) No, I just,
4: I think that we would be in such a better position as a hockey community if A, our players could double roster, um, and B, if there was some, I don't know, some sort of acknowledgement that there are girls playing here and that it would be really nice if um, we had a girls high school hockey league. Um, and, but that wouldn't prevent them from then playing double A AA or triple A outside of that. Um, that would help grow the game. That would help keep girls in the game longer is what often ends up happening right now is at around 16 or 17, I lose a lot of players and just in general, generalism, they make a decision where this is too much for my schedule, uh, playing a 50 game schedule and then also trying to, you know, do as good as I can at my local high school to get a scholarship to Ohio State. Um, I can't manage it all. It's all too much. Um, so I, I just think that there's, we're just missing the point. If we don't recognize the value of women's hockey and that there's a bunch of great female hockey players in the area and that there should be something there for them. Um, you know, not every single girl in Northeast Ohio can go to Gilmore Academy. It's impossible. Um, so I would just love, um, I would love for there to be an OHSAA version of girls varsity hockey. I think that'd be the coolest thing ever. Michigan does it. Pennsylvania does it. New York does it. And it doesn't interfere with the, you know, travel schedule outside. So your high-end A tournaments and everything else outside of that. So that might be a pipe dream. I don't know if they care, but it would be great to see that happen someday.
0: Well, I, I agree. I think it would be wonderful to see that happen. And I, I have had many conversations with some people about that. Uh, you know, how could that work? Would it be able to be sustainable? You know, are, are the, the numbers uh, able to sustain, you know, let's say a five-year plan for that? Uh, for for a young lady that's that's out there listening or, or a parent that's listening as a young lady that's playing, does does the young lady need to go to Gilmore High School to play in the Gilmore prep team?
4: No, and that is um, a very good question. Now, it's a little complex, and I don't want to talk too much, but the only, I guess, to simplify it is the Gilmore Youth Hockey Association fields girls teams at um, U16 and then U19 This past season, um, it was actually technically a U-17 team because there were just a few girls who were one year out of U-16 um, and we combined them with a bunch of U-16 age players to make a U-17 team. So they played a combined schedule of U-16 and U-19 teams um, and their head coach was Carly Mangus, who was um, a Gilmore Academy player. She was a Norwich graduate, national champion, incredible asset for us. Um, She took those girls and, um, you know, Two of them happened to go to Gilmore, um, but the rest of them were just kids from Northeast Ohio who happened to play hockey. Um, So that um, is an option. Um, And then we have a U16 team, uh, or we did have a U16 team this past season. Um, We played a full tier one schedule of 45 games, and a few of those girls go to Gilmore, and a a whole bunch of them don't. Um, So you don't have to go to Gilmore to play good girls hockey. Um, Strictly speaking, the prep team, that I field that plays a prep league schedule is just for girls that go to the school. But we had two players this season who played U19 AAA Tier One with us, but they just missed out on our league games. But then they played a full season with us um, of U19 AAA, and they're both going to college next year uh, to play college hockey. So, you know, and I, and I yeah. think
0: that's that's huge to know that these young ladies have an opportunity to be a part of this awesome program at Gilmore and they don't and I'm not saying that they don't need to attend Gilmore because Gilmore is an unbelievable high school and and a great campus and all that but like you mentioned earlier in the interview not everyone can go to Gilmore so if they don't go to Gilmore they can still be a part of uh, that program and I'm glad that we got that out there because I think that was kind of a I don't want to say it was a misnomer to everybody but to a lot of people it might have been you know yeah might have been like oh well this is all part of the high school Bits and pieces are, but bits and pieces are not. So I'm glad we were able to, to clear that up. Um, if they want to get, if, if a young lady or family is listening out there and they want to get a hold of, of you or, or uh, the program to learn more about the women's game and, and what you guys are offering, how can they do that?
4: Well, they can. We have every social media platform there is. So they can go to Instagram and find us at Gilmore Academy Girls Prep Hockey our non-academy teams are under G-Y-H-A. So that's G-Y-H-A girls hockey.com. Um, and then on Instagram, it's G-Y-H-A girls hockey, Facebook, the same G-Y-H-A girls hockey. My contact details should be on the website. Um, and then my assistant coaches as well.
0: So, kids, so, uh, kind of wrapped this up. We've kind of have asked some of the other, uh, guests on this, you know, cause things are getting a little bit, uh, I don't know, very boring, if you will, the last 50 days. So we try to find things to do. Like Dan, Dan became a dog groomer in his house and, uh, his own dog groomer. What, what, are, what have you been what doing you, with your, with your time? <laughs> Dan, you might have your first client. I'm, in. I'm in. What have you been um, doing? What have you been doing with your, uh, time away from hockey? uh I have to
4: to keep my finger on the pulse of all of my various players because we have this incredible group of girls that are coming up to the program that are hockey crazy and they're all very close and I know they were pretty heartbroken um to not really finish out their school year together and just sort of the tail end of the season we actually did finish our season and um, everything shut down a week later but still you know there's getting ready for um they all some of them played softball together Some of them uh, play lacrosse together. They were getting ready for national camp tryouts. So just try to stay in touch, make sure everybody's doing okay. Um, And then, um, you know, beyond all the Zoom meetings, and we've done a few Netflix parties, um, personally, I've gotten back into reading. (laughs) So I never have a single second of time during the season. Um, So I started the Harry Potter series, which I had never read before. So I am now a Harry Potter nerd and um what else have i been doing Taking you know you, dogs? you
0: know whatever yeah. you say you know your students or your uh players are going to come back at you you know that right oh you know, yeah so absolutely
4: 100 percent they might they might <laughs> come to the rink
0: on a on like a, a broom i've never read the books or seen the movies so whatever they're awesome
4: <laughs> i'm telling you i never knew i never knew um what oh i've um done a little bit of you know professional development as then you watch your coaching webinars from usa hockey and um you know that kind of thing. And Roger Nielsen's doing some great stuff online too. And then I'm actually also an attorney. Um, so I take on, on a few cases just to keep myself busy and keep my mind engaged in the world. So
1: see Danny, you may you may need her services too. So it's a barter <laughs> system. You cut the dog's tear and <laughs> she can help you out of some legal troubles.
0: There we go. <laughs> well i'd be remiss if i didn't if i didn't uh give a shout out to one of the girls on your team who i know on a personal level but alex distolo is a, a great uh, great great young lady and and I, I know you have a lot of good young ladies on your team but i've, I've known a- i've <laughs> known alex for a while and, and her family and and uh, so i just definitely want to give a shout out there but shauna we thank you for your time here today um we thank you for what you're doing for the women's game uh i'm, I'm hoping that this platform is able to get some information out to uh, maybe some uh, young ladies and families out there that aren't really sure how this uh, pipeline or avenue goes and uh, we're able to clear it up and we look forward to having you back on and, and keep rolling with this.
4: Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. And it's nice to just connect with human beings um, after a long time away. Uh, So thank you.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Shauna. Bye guys. Keeping it moving. Time to get on air with our next guest, Cleveland Monsters, assistant coach, Trent Vogelhuber. Our next guest played in over 260 professional games, an NCAA career at Miami University where he helped the Red Hawks to multiple national tournaments and an NCAA Frozen Four finalist in 2009, the first Columbus native selected by the hometown Columbus Blue Jackets in the 2011 NHL draft a Calder Cup champion with the Cleveland Monsters in 2016. Welcome on air from the Cleveland Monsters
5: assistant coach, Trent Vogelhuber. Welcome, Trent. Uh, thank you, Tim. Thank you guys so much for having me. Happy to be here. So what have you been doing during
0: the, the shutoff? I know we ask this question to every guest because it's a, we're trying to find things for ourselves to do. You know, yeah. trying to get some information. How's it been for you during this time off? Personally, uh, obviously, professionally, uh, it's, it could be a change. So, you know what? What have what, what have you been doing?
5: Yeah, no, it's uh, I. God, I don't think I'm going to be able to give you guys any ideas on what to do. i uh, we're scrounged here, but my wife and I have a one-year-old, uh, so we obviously during the season that ended prematurely, I I'm on the road a lot. So, I've just been hanging out with him a ton. Um, obviously, staying at home uh i got a wife a one-year-old and a dog like i said so we're just hanging at home and it's been seven weeks now so i've got my fill i'm ready for (laughs) i'm ready for life (laughs) to begin now i think but no we 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 live in grandview here in columbus so we get outside and go on walks as much as we can and he has um you know you probably could have guessed is already obsessed with hockey so we're out in the driveway with the stick all the time and uh, that's it we're just trying to trying to get by here
0: that that's great that's great i would uh you know you, you can only try to find so many new things to do yeah um, and and you know the things that we try to find to do every day uh, different to try to you know keep us in, uh active and interested is is the little things like you know like I built a pickleball in my driveway right so
5: oh nice uh, yeah
0: so so you know Trent we're, we're gonna we're gonna really dive into not only your coaching uh where the where the AHL is today where the monsters are today where they're going to be going uh but your background. Mm-hmm. Uh, as an Ohio native and, and this being a part of the Ohio hockey digest is just a very interesting, very, uh, uh, great background, by the way, I must congratulate on that. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll talk coach to coach later here, but going back to your playing career, you're the first hometown draftee by the blue jackets. You know, you grew up in Dublin, you went to Miami, you played for the monsters. And now you played for the blue jackets and, and, and you're, you're now back with the monsters. Like, Talk, can you talk to us a little bit about what that excitement was like, especially with the, the uh, Blue Jackets just becoming a new organization and you're a hometown
5: kid. So what was that like? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was all pretty unexpected as, as it was happening. Uh, as you guys know, especially in Columbus at the time, not a whole lot of or any uh, professional hockey players from the area So my dream, once I kind of realized that I was, uh, you know, decent at hockey was to play division one hockey and from, uh, probably middle school on Miami was probably my top choice because they'd just gotten, were about to get a new rank. They were programmed on the rise there. Obviously being from Columbus, I had, I already knew a bunch of friends that were going there, going to go there. So, uh, but, just the whole Ohio it seems like I've been in Ohio a lot and uh, that was just kind of lucky I guess I mean obviously I got to choose the college and then having been drafted by the Blue Jackets was obviously um, a dream come true that draft was in Columbus Ohio as well that year so it made it pretty Uh, special
1: uh, that's gotta be amazing
5: uh, yeah it was obviously it was it was it was so cool and And then to be able to have played for the Monsters here just up the road. So it's been a pretty special – it's been pretty special in that sense, uh, being the first kid from Columbus to get drafted and uh, play D1. But to be able to have been in the Blue Jackets organization as a player and now coach, it's, uh, you know, really enjoying that.
0: What was your – what was your youth uh, hockey? We get a lot of uh, listeners at, you know, in the the youth age, high school age. Right. What was was your youth like and then your high school? And and then, I mean, I know – we're gonna talk a little about your, you know, your trip down to the North American hockey league and then the USHL, but what, uh, what was your youth in, in high school? What, what was that like?
5: Uh, well, I started playing hockey. I was actually born in Cleveland, started playing hockey, learned to skate at the Kent state, uh, rank there. And, um, you know, oh, pretty, so we
0: should say you're a Cleveland native, not a Columbus. Exactly. We, we got to right. take so, ownership of this stuff, coach. <laughs> That's
5: very true. Where I learned it all. It all started. I got to go so. back to
0: my intro. Hold on a second. <laughs> <laughs>
5: um, but no, so we, we just, I just started learning to skate there and just pretty standard of as I'm sure most Cleveland uh, little hockey kids. And I just was obsessed with it and we moved to Columbus um, and I played, you know, played in the youth travel uh, program there and actually moved out to San Diego for two years uh, for my dad's job and uh, continued playing there for the junior goals. They were called at the time and then came back, um, came back to Columbus. And I mean, I, we were always looking for the best, you know, the best team in, in our area. And uh, you know, Columbus wasn't as good as Cleveland and it wasn't as good as it is now, but it was still good enough for me at the time. And I just kept playing and got better and better. And eventually, um, you know, that AAA team, that, that AAA team came at the exact right time. I was actually shopping. Once I'd gotten to that kind of level where, okay, like you might be able to play in, in hockey or that's on the horizon. It's potentially uh, realistic. We started shopping. My when I was going into high school as to where to play, and I went up to Gilmore Academy to look, and we went to uh, to Culver Academy. Whether we, I'd go up and play for the Barons, just trying to play because at that time uh, I was playing double A hockey in Columbus, which was the hot level that you could play. Um, and we were just uh, started looking, looking around. And I actually my freshman year played for. Um, I stayed at home and played for St. Charles and had an awesome experience there. Um, uh, JD Kershaw was a coach who works for the Blue Jackets now. And then um, after the one year of high school hockey, again, I took another step in the right direction. And we decided to try to find a triple-A program or go to Gilmore or whatever it was. And The AAA Blue Jackets came around, that was their first year, was my sophomore year of high school. So it just worked out for me anyways, perfectly at that time and just you know the way it was in columbus and uh at that time it just seemed like going to from high school to AAA. a um oh god this is 15 17 years ago right was was the play for exposure or whatever um my dad didn't know anything about hockey so we were just taking advice from whoever we could at the time but that was pretty much it and then i went i played for that triple a blue jackets team for a couple of years and then went away to play juniors
1: and was that the first experience away like living away from home was when you went to st louis for, for hockey yeah
5: yeah that was my senior year of high school moved away and went to st louis in the nahl uh, coach you guys might know john cooper recruited me out there and a- absolutely
0: uh, <laughs> hey <laughs> where where did i have the question this is a, a more of a, a personal interesting question but where did you live in st louis
5: i lived with a billet family actually a kid who was on the team um his parents do you remember, what, do you remember yeah with what, what city uh marquette it was marquette so or uh marquette high school is the high school i went to it's way out west chesterfield chesterfield region. okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: So no, I got married. I got
5: married in I got married in St. Louis. My wife's from oh, okay. St. Louis, okay.
0: And so okay. I've gotten to kind of know the town a little bit. So I was gonna, you know, I was gonna ask you about some restaurants and stuff. We'll, okay. get, there later. we'll get there later. Yeah, no,
5: <laughs> I I was in high school at the time, so the so- drive-through Sonic is about the only restaurant I remember yeah, right. from St. Louis at the time. <laughs> but um, it, that that again was the first time I moved away from home, and Cooper was the coach, which was obviously a really good experience. Um, and then actually this, that was my, my, my second year in the AAA program here in Columbus with Ed Ginger who runs that team. I was the first, I, I tore my ACL that year. So uh, luckily I'd already, you know, been tendered. They call it to to play for the, the St. Louis bandits the following year. Um, and this started a, a rough few years. I tore my ACL the fall the same knee the three years in a row. So that year, I was in St. Louis. I, I actually only played 20 20 so games and came home at Christmas. Uh, to try to get you know, had the second surgery, and then the following year, I got drafted to the USHL in Des Moines. Decided to go there, which, uh, looking back, I don't know if that was really the right decision. I was just trying to, you know, they were considered the tier one junior A league, and the NAHL was tier two, so I was just trying to play that, you know, again, not knowing. I just try to play in the best league possible. So went to Des Moines and again, only played three years Tore that ACL again, or three games, excuse me, and tore that ACL again. So that was kind of a tumultuous three years. Luckily in the midst of all that, I'd um, committed to play at Miami and gotten drafted there by the Blue Jackets. So was fortunate to find a way, find, to have found a way to do that.
0: Hey, you know, real real quick, you, you talk about, again and I I'm I'm not trying to put words in your mouth but you said you didn't know if that was the right decision to go out to Des Moines uh after you know the the three games and obviously the injury but you and you don't know what would happen right you don't know mm-hmm. there but um would you have would you have preferred to stay back in St. Louis or or yeah, no, I mean I
5: think looking back I think the my dri- I was just um you know I liked the idea of playing in the USHL at the time, which was probably an immature decision. We're looking back now. I had a good relationship with John Cooper. He would helped get me get me that scholarship to Miami, uh, and all I was really concerned about was playing in the best league, playing in the USHL, and you know feeling better about my, about myself in that way. Where obviously, if that didn't matter, I, would, I was already committed to Miami, um, and drafted to the Blue Jackets. So. It, it you know whatever it's not, not that big a deal but looking back i probably would have uh would have stayed in st louis
0: you know but i, th- I think you make a great point there coach about if players find their right coach and the right team and and the and it's all just the the right thing you know maybe maybe that next level isn't the right thing for them you know i mean you you were drafted you were drafted out of out of the tier two league and that's great
5: yeah know? no absolutely it's it, again that's something i I learned and again my dad having not known much about hockey we we were just flying by the seat of our pants here so again i i think that's absolutely if you have a good relationship with the coach the scouts if you're whether that's junior scouts college scouts pro scouts they're going to find the best players the is small um and so i yeah absolutely i agree stay with that coach in that situation that you're you know you might be comfortable and so uh that's not a very small regret but a little regret i guess amongst my career um but anyways it uh it worked out uh for me in the long run
1: so you you then go on to miami what was it mm-hmm. I, I have a, i guess i have a million questions I, I don't know i mean we're looking over we're looking over the uh one of the game sheets and what was there about eight guys from ohio on the six. roster six guys Oh gosh six guys.
5: Six I mean, guys, guys, yeah.
1: Brandon Smith and Carter Camper and, and Aiden Hirschfeld and yourself and Cody Rikert and all Ohio guys. Yeah. What what was it like playing for Enrico, Coach Blasey? What was it like oh, your time gosh. down in Miami? Did you enjoy my wife's my wife went to Miami? That's oh,
5: where I met I, her. I mean my I was I'm I loved Miami. I don't have a bad thing to say about Miami. We had obviously had success on the ice when I was there in my four years. Um, My best friends are from that school still to this day. And it was just, again, being two hours up the road, it was so cool. I I had a bunch of friends from just not from hockey, but just from high school back in Columbus uh, that were there as well. So it was kind of it was perfect for me. perfect fit for me i had friends who i knew knew from school and then i had my hockey team it was just uh it was unbelievable we loved it we still are you know living in the past reminisce about the good the good times back then um but yeah i don't have a bad thing to say enrico uh was a great coach you know he's got a little torts in him he's a passionate uh, italian dude who (laughs) (laughs) You know, he's, he's emotional, but he just wants the best for his players and, um, he can get hot for sure. But I learned a lot from him and from that, that whole staff, Chris Bergeron was an assistant at the time and uh, who's now the head coach back at Miami. And, uh, Jeff Blatchell was one of the guys who recruited me there. So they, it was just an um, unbelievable, unbelievable experience, uh, as a whole there yeah this 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 game sheet that
0: that uh love and i are, are referring to is on the oh nine oh ten season and, and mm-hmm. you know I, i'm looking at this and this i think i would say this is at the cusp i don't want to say the, the cusp but this is right when the transition started between a lot of um american players uh going into the college ranks ncaa ranks right instead of yeah. instead of your europeans or your your canadians which it, it, I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's great to see uh, Americans yeah. uh, stay home in the NCAA. On this this sheet, out of the 20 guys rostered, 17 of them are American kids. Yeah, that's,
5: and that's. I think Miami. Uh, part of the reason why our teams were good, and Miami was, I think, made the tournament 10 or 11 years in a row. There was a stretch there. Uh, those those two assistants, or the uh, Burge and Blash, were the guys who recruited me. Um, they did a such a good job understanding that they weren't in Michigan. They weren't in Wisconsin. They're a BU that could just wear their, their polo to the rink and get any kid they wanted. So they, they put a lot of time in trying to find the right kids. And Miami did an unbelievable uh, job at really taking the stranglehold on the Ohio recruiting at that time. Um, like you said, we had eight guys, uh, on my, our six guys on my team six that guys, year yeah. from Ohio, pretty much if you were, I know there were a couple others, Johnny Albert, I think went to, went to uh, Ohio state. So mm-hmm. there were obviously some others, but for the most part, if you were a D one hockey player at that time from Ohio, Miami, you know, was probably going to get you. And they started, I was the first kid from Columbus to go there. But after that, there was a list of guys that were younger than me, that committed to play there, the Jack Roslevic and Sean Corally and Kiefer Sherwood that ended up being really, really good players. So Miami developed a really good relationship with that AAA program in Columbus um, and still have a good relationship there and have gotten some good players out of that. But yeah, just obviously uh, not only American players, but the, the Ohio players on there was really cool. Obviously for me being one of them being so close to home, And they just, the the coaching staff did such a good job recognizing their niche of guys. Um, And just that we found uh, the best players that were available. Um, A couple older ones, rather than being true freshmen, you know, you have to delve into that when you're not, like I said, a BU or a a Michigan a little bit more. And man, Bergeron and Blash and uh, Brett Brekke was another coach later on. They did such a good job at that.
0: Yeah, it's amazing when we uh when I printed that up and I was looking at it just kind of diving into it I was like wow man he's you know and, and I was seeing you know the 09 010 that cuss of, of kind of changing it. so that's pretty cool. You know, we're going to talk a lot about uh you know obviously we talked about your college game we're going to get into the uh, pro side of it now and and we're going to talk about your playing time. Hell, you had you had a hell of a year here in Cleveland uh mm-hmm. when you played when you played here uh when I know you played for some other team but when when your career was over uh in your last year in San Antonio then the next year you get behind the bench. Um, at what point did you decide that that's where you want to take hockey? Like, I mean, playing's done uh, for whatever reason that, that was. Playing's over, uh, but I still want to be a part of it, and coaching now is going to be the next uh, level. You know, how did, how did that come about?
5: <laughs> well, it was um, – it came about really quickly. I was, I was back – I went to Columbus on a camp, a uh, PTO invite, after – my two years with Burado, um and San Antonio. So I was there on a PTO uh, and got reassigned to Cleveland. And it was, I guess I should go back a couple years previously, my first year after Cleveland, I tore my ACL again. So it was an old, obviously the old knees came back to bite me again. So I had a really tough time coming, coming back from that the following year. So my year there in Cleveland it was kind of a uh, or, or excuse me that camp with Columbus the PTO I signed up I was starting to recognize even though I put in the you know a big summer to try to get back that I just I couldn't I was not going to be the player I wanted to be anymore um I was I still felt I could play and be effective in the American League level um but when I was in Cleveland there trying to fight back for a spot um in the american league you guys know there's a vet a vet limit right you can only have five guys over a certain amount of games like 260 so i had just hit that right threshold there and so i was just kind of there you know we had seven vets i think on the squad at that time so i knew i probably wasn't going to play uh, i was practicing really not sure what was going to happen and billy zito asked me one day after practice he said hey I I don't know. You know, you you can stay here. Uh, You might not play in the near future because we just have an overload of veterans. You can go try to play elsewhere, which I was considering going to Europe and playing. Although I I just had a little boy, so I wanted to stay close to home. Uh, He said, "But we have an uh, assistant coaching job open, and I know if you want to play, you need to go do that. But uh, we'd like to keep you in the organization, and I think you'd be really good at it. And to be honest, that." when he made that call to me, that was the first time I'd ever thought about being a coach. You're okay. so what? single-minded on playing. And I was, all my focus was on rehabbing and then all my focus was on camp in Columbus. And then all my focus was on trying to get in a game and play, you know, play again. So you're, you're so uh, one-minded on that that I, I hadn't never even thought about that, you know? So um he said you take a couple weeks and get back to me and I you know at the end of the two weeks I thought that was the best thing just considering the the injuries I'd had and the new family that I had here in Columbus my wife's from Dublin as well so it just I think was the best thing for us at the time and I'm glad I made that decision now because um it's you know it was a it's not easy to just get into the American league level as a coach. And I kind of took that for granted when that did happen. I recognize that now after, after uh, having coached for two years. So I'm thankful for Billy Zito's call and um, having made that decision.
1: So the first time on the bench in an American league game, what's going through your head when it's live practice, different story. Because that's just communi- communicating with the players and and yeah. helping the players and 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 all that developing the players. What was your first initial reaction? Was it a oh man, this is going to be great, or was it
5: oh <laughs> oh shit? Well, <laughs> no. I, my my initial reaction was I felt like I was still a player, just sitting on the bench. You know what I mean? It's yeah. I, and it's still still I have times when I'm in the heat of the game and I think I'm a player. It's, I think it will take a little bit more time until I'm completely uh, until I <laughs> am completely a coach on the bench, you know. <laughs> but uh, it was gosh, the rest of my first year, I think I was as a player, I was very vocal on the bench. So I just um, continued to do what I would have done as a player, as a leader on a team. And that was uh, to be vocal. And like I said, I would help young guys out as a veteran player in the American League on the bench, um, you know, when I, when I was an assistant captain uh, for Cleveland and, and, and in San Antonio. So that really, it wasn't a huge adjustment in that sense. I just had to tone the emotions back a little bit, uh, standing <laughs> behind rather than sitting there. Still an adjustment. I'm going there weren't
1: for. a lot of chirps, son. You weren't chirping too much standing behind the bench <laughs> no. versus sitting
5: on it. No, you know I give a friendly one to the to my team once in a while, but I like I said I still have to stop myself because in the emotions of the game I want to tell you know one of the other players to f off or whatever it is, and I have to stop myself because coaches aren't allowed to yell at the other team's players. So um, <laughs> it's been it's been a it's been an actually pretty easy adjustment in that sense. I just am doing what I would have done as a player and. Uh, helping young guys along and um, but it's one thing that's great about being a coach it's the next best thing you're still in the battle down there right you still have the highs and the lows of of competing like that so that's what I have found to be my favorite part of coaching
1: so in in the American League it's mostly developmental trying to get guys up some guys good bad and different are maybe on their way down so to speak I don't want to. I don't want to disrespect those guys because what what mm-hmm. what those guys do is amazing. But it, I was looking over the the roster for the last this past season's monsters team, and the age variance is. I don't want to say it's great, but there's a lot. You you have 18, 19 year olds mixed in with 20, 30 maybe low 30 age group. Is that something that's intentionally done by you guys, by the, by the blue jacket organization so that there is good mentoring throughout or, or what it just, was it just something that just, that's just the way it went?
5: Uh, Well, yeah. I mean, at the American league level, um, obviously in the grand scheme of things, the goal is for the NHL team to have success. Um, Now I believe that by doing that, you have to win, you know, you try to create a winning environment at the American league level. So, you know, the, the general managers and the whole front office, obviously they do uh, a great job at bringing the prospects to the uh, getting, drafting them and signing them. And usually 95% of the time they, they come to the American league to start. So we want those young prospects to be in a winning environment. Um, and while they're learning and taking that step from junior or college uh, to the NHL, that AHL step, uh, like we want them to win because you develop quicker that way and you have more fun. So to do that, you have to bring veteran players along who have either been good players in the American League or have had their time in the NHL. They're just a little bit older, whether that's uh for whatever reason they have a lack of opportunity now it's a young it's the league's getting younger and younger whatever the reason is there's guys who have played several hundred games in the nhl in some cases that just haven't been able to find a spot anymore but they're very 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 valuable uh for nhl organization because they are down there in the american league helping those young prospects learn what it is to be a pro hockey player and help the team's win which like i said uh, speeds up the development for those young players you right. if we don't win that Calder Cup championship in 2016 Josh Anderson and Oliver Bjorkstrand and Jonas Corposalo and Lucas Sedlek, they they don't make that jump the next year like the winning team like that in a long playoff run speeds up the process of development for young players by you know year or, or you know so obviously that that's our, our ultimate goal as a coach I'm I'm trying to win um I don't decide who gets who gets uh brought up and sent down I'm just trying to win with the guys that we have there and create that winning culture um like I said so guys can have fun and develop quicker you know you talk about <laughs> the winning tra- or the winning
0: culture in an organization and and obviously you guys have done a heck of a job uh, you know, obviously your playing time. Now you played in one of the biggest games that the Monsters played in uh, when you guys uh, won the Calder Cup. You know that puck goes in by Bjorgstan with two seconds to go, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you you got to have thought. And again, I, I you know, hopefully one day, coach, we we can meet in person and and talk it over. But I when I make this comment, I don't want you to beat me up. But when that goal goes in and you win the Calder Cup especially after what happened your freshman year of college, mm-hmm. right?
5: You know, what was the feelings? What, 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 what did you what you think? Oh, uh, I mean, that, that was something I think that was special about that team was we were – everyone, including the high-profile prospects like Bjorkstrand and Anderson, were 100% bought into winning in Cleveland. Um, so we were so focused on trying to win and trying to win that game for at home on a Saturday night uh, in Cleveland, where we had, you know, parties set up afterwards. We didn't want to have
3: to
5: <laughs> go back to Hershey. Uh, so that was, I think my initial reaction was, i was just so happy that we won and we get to party here in Cleveland rather than having to go back on a bus to Hershey again.
0: Where was, um, the, par- where, where, where was the party? Uh,
5: we had a little thing up in the suite of the queue. And then we went, which all the families and friends, we had an open bar up there. And then we went to the Barley House, which they, we went to the back room at the Barley House. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and, and oh, of course, of course. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. I yeah. <laughs> I think it stayed open a little later than they um, they probably should have, but it was yeah. So that was that was awesome. And again, I mean, that was my first reaction. I was just so happy to get to celebrate with the guys. So I, later on, it was you know reflecting a little bit later. It was. Uh, it was just, you just realized what a special group that was. And then everything starts to flip over. It's already mid June. So I was a free agent July 1st and it's a pretty quick turnaround after that. And you're getting ready for the next season. It is a short, short summer for teams that uh, make it to the Stanley cup final or obviously Calder cup final. It's on the same schedule. So, and that gave me an enormous amount of respect for players that, you know, the penguins who, who had repeated back in, you know, sixteen, seventeen, um, or fifteen, sixty, whatever it was, it's yeah, that's a quick, quick turnaround for
0: yeah, you, you know, you
5: of season to the summer.
0: You guys are on a short list and that's why I think it's so it's so great, especially here in Cleveland and you growing up right right down seventy one in, in the Columbus area. You know, before we before we had, you know, the monsters win. I mean, we only had the, the Force win a championship, Stipe win a championship, the Cavs, and then you guys, that's it. You yeah. know, so the life you brought to the city was with that run was amazing. So yeah, um,
5: well, we like to take credit for breaking that curse. I think when yeah. we won, the Cavs were down three-one. So <laughs> it was a it was a really special time in Cleveland, and we got to we obviously stuck around for a week or so afterwards, and got to see the Cavs get back into that series, which made it even better. And then uh, the Cavs actually invited us onto their into their parade. Uh, when they had one in Cleveland, so we got to at that point everybody had kind of gone home, but they said anybody who's able to come back, please do. Uh, we'll pay for your flights, we'll reimburse your gas, and we'll get you a hotel room downtown, and you guys can get be in the parade for the Cavs. So did you do? Honestly, was- looking. Oh yeah, I was the right, well, well, I well, had no, excuse. Well, no, you got to talk about. There's a freaking million people.
0: I know. There. What the uh, hell was that like? What
5: was that like? It was insane. That was insane. We actually the night before. So I think what was the parade on a Wednesday? I think yeah. or a Tuesday, whatever it was. Yeah. The night before, most of us had gotten back into town and checked into our hotel downtown, and we went. Uh, obviously, we'd known some of the bartenders and bouncers at, at bars around the town, and they'd um, told us that the Cavs were having a party at barley house again that night i think it was a tuesday night and so they had that whole back room you know um roped off with a bunch of bouncers but they said come we'll you know we'll have some of the the booths out there by the dj for you guys for the monsters so honestly looking back at everything that happened that year which was probably my favorite year hockey i think that was the best night <laughs> was that <laughs> night that w- it was long after the season was over a week after the season was over but w- we got to uh kind of party w- party with the Cavs and celebrate with them ride their coattails a little bit uh, in that celebration and then the next day obviously the uh parade was so cool just going through downtown almost seems fake when I look back at pictures and videos on my phone you know that's
0: it, it it does I was actually I was in St. Louis at the time, uh, of the parade. And I remember turning the TV on, and I think Dan, Danny, you went down, didn't you go down to the, the parade, Dan? Yeah, we were down there.
2: Um, we started off on like right outside the nine and then somehow ended up in the upstairs of the Heinen's down there, which was, thank God. Cause I mean, there was no, <laughs> you weren't moving. You weren't going to see anything. If you were down at ground level, there were so many people.
0: Right. And, and so I, Ahead, I turn a TV. i try, I'm sorry. I, try, I turn on a TV, and I see the mass of people down there, and I'll never forget telling my in-laws. I'm like, "Well, this is how we do it in Cleveland because we never get to do it."
5: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I yeah. know uh, it was. Yeah, it was crazy. And I, I mean, when I watched parades, I I thought like, you know, the players get on a parade, get on their float, and there's just unlimited alcohol there for them, which I'm sure there was for the Cavs. But we got on our float and obviously I think they'd forgotten about the monsters for alcohol. So I think some intern, we were like, we're not like, we're not going through this thing without any beer or something. <laughs> so some intern, some, some intern for the team, like ran into one of the team offices and got, it was a, I remember it was a war, it was a bottle of rum, tea, it was room temperature. So we're like trying to drink <laughs> on the, on the float. It was like mixing Gatorade, room-temperature Gatorade, and room-temperature rum on this thing. Um, So that was also a memory that sticks out, but we we made it work.
1: I I, I do remember my brother was working at Barley when you guys went in, and he – I don't know, maybe it was like 1130 at night or something like that later in that. He sends me this picture of himself drinking out of the Calder Cup. (laughs) And then the Cavs (laughs) have their party, and I just get this text message. He goes, I got to get out of this bar business if (laughs) Cleveland keeps winning stuff because – the monsters are down here. The calves are down here. I'm not getting out of here until about 7, seven <laughs> in the morning. This
5: is awesome. Yeah, good problem to have, I guess. But, uh, yeah, it was both of those nights were, um, were obviously so much fun. And a really cool time for the city, uh, especially with that Cavs win. Really cool to be a part of and be there for that.
1: So do you think that, that I mean, I guess looking back now, and all the big games that you played in, be it in in Miami and the and the national championship in '09, and and the double OT uh, win over Michigan, the regional final. All of your experiences did. How did that prepare you for that moment? How did it prepare you for your pro career? How I mean, there has to be a lot of similarities in in the experiences, and then as you grow and mature as as a as a person, all those come together. Bam! You guys win the Calder Cup.
5: Yeah, no, it's uh I mean in, in in college when you're playing college hockey that's the biggest stage you can imagine, right? Especially for me that was my dream. So our, our freshman year to make that we made a the run to the Frozen Four and um, and played BU in the in the final there. I mean, that was in my mind at the time probably the biggest game I'll ever play in. Um, and it's You know, playing, getting those, that experience as a college uh, hockey player, you, it's invaluable for uh, when you turn pro to just nerves and to be able to perform under uh, pressure on the big stage like that. You have to go through those games. Uh, The best players go through them at a young age, you know, so it's, that definitely hardens you for those situations down the road.
0: You know, one thing. I, I, you know, we're we're all Lev, myself, and Danny were involved in the high school side of it here in Cleveland, and and um, you know, I, it, 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 you just hit the nail on the head right there, Coach. You know, it, 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 it doesn't matter what level it is, right? I mean, you, you did it. You did it at at St. Charles. You did it at the AAA level. You did it, and I, I was actually going through this. You know, you double A high school, A, North American USA, what USHL, whatever. But at all those levels you have to learn how to win if you want to learn how to be a champion and and that's, yep. a, that's a that's a big thing to do right um you know and and you being able just and you just talking about that was was actually great because we we speak to a lot of uh, high school level and and uh, youth level hockey players up in this uh, in Cleveland area about how that you know you got to learn to win in order to be a champion because I think that's the hardest thing the hardest thing is learning how to win it's not being a champion it's how do you how do you
5: win um yeah no Absolutely. That's something it's you're, I think pro and college scouts, they want competitors, right? And uh, so when you're a young hockey player, um, you know, and you, you aspire to play in college or in the NHL, I think that is the most important quality to have for a young hockey player coming up is that competitive nature. Um, Loving to win, obviously, loving to win, but just hating to lose. And it's, it doesn't matter what level you're playing at, that can be, you can learn that quality or have that quality as far as competing every night, every practice, every game. Uh, I think the hardest, once you get that down, that competitiveness, or um, the hardest thing when you get older and going up a level is doing it. Every every single night, right? Like when you're when you're playing midgets or in high school hockey, you can, if especially if you're maybe a top tier player or you're a leading scorer, you can take a night off or a practice off here or there, um, where you're you're not competing or focused as much, you know. And that gets exposed the higher level, the the, the higher and higher you go throughout the hockey ranks. So um, obviously gaining that that competitive edge refusing to lose and and it's so important but it's just doing that consistently is I think is even more difficult over, yeah. especially as you jump up levels doing it every night you can't have a bad night you know once once you get to the top so um, right I was yeah. talking I would
0: I've talked to a lot of uh, uh, different level coaches and um you know I've been coaching at the high school level for 17 years now and I I joke with Without, I don't care what, what level it is, if it's pro, if it's college, it is. And I say, I think, and this is just me, because I deal with high school age kids every day. And we always say to them, bring something to the rink every day. And we thank them for bringing inconsistency every day, right? Because that's what mm-hmm. they bring every day. Right. And I said, I, th- I think a NCAA coach or any level pro coach, mandatory, should have to go coach high school kids for five years <laughs> to understand <Yeah>. the inconsistency <laughs> of, of the athletes. Right, because it's funny. We'll 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 drive to the rink and we'll be like, "Well, I don't know what team's going to show up
5: today. I have no clue." (laughs) Right. Well, that's and again, that's your you know, at that especially in high school, and I was the same way. I your number one thing to have fun, right? So yeah, players are trying to have fun, and it's not necessarily um, do or die like it can be in in the professional ranks at some points, but you obviously it's something you gain you guys know you gain as you get older and you get more mature is understanding the there's not an on and off switch from joking around in the locker room before (laughs) before a big game you know or you have to focus it in and that's what that what those high school years or triple a years do for players is they realize what kind of player they are what they need to do to get ready for a game that's what that's what that's all about. So as long as uh, a young player or a high school player that you guys coaches is, is aware of that and trying to, you know, learn, learn from that, uh, that's the most important thing. Those are obviously the, the years to do that.
1: And you speak about compete level. And your time at Miami, you had a lot of excellent guys that love to compete from the Ohio area. And all throughout your, your career moving on up to the pro ranks and you have played with guys from Ohio. Do you see Ohio gaining steam in, in the hockey world, Ohio hockey players, gaining steam improving?
5: Big, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I do. And, uh, I mean, I haven't, I haven't worked closely with the youth hockey, um, <clears> or <throat> been involved in it much since I was a player. Obviously I've, I've just coached the last two years in the American league, but, just the players um, coming, like coming out of out of the state in general. It's just, it's just night and day from when I was when I was, uh, like I said, the first kid from Columbus anyway to play uh, college hockey up in Cleveland. I know there's, it's been uh, there's a little bit more of a rich history of players there, and having lived in Columbus, that's kind of I I, I guess I can speak yeah more to that where I don't. Uh, you guys probably know a little bit more, I guess, Cleveland hockey's obviously getting better over the years. But when I was young, I always thought it was really good, you know, being from Columbus. And they'd always it was really, really hard for us to beat the Barons or when I was in when I played at St. Charles, we were not going to beat the, the top Cleveland teams, you know. So um, but Columbus, it just from where it started, from when, when I was there to now, there's players committing to the one college uh Every year, and obviously those guys I named earlier who played at Miami after me, but there's more that have made the jump to the n h l Connor Murphy and uh Cole Sherwood who plays for us in the monsters, but has had some time up at the blue jackets and uh it's It's really great to see that
1: what do you attribute that growth to? Do you attribute that to the to the guys, maybe the pros that stayed uh stayed in columbus do you attribute what do you attribute the growth because it has grown? In in the last yeah. five years, even, I mean, from when you played, and even in the last mm-hmm. five years, it's, it's it's grown exponentially. What do you attribute the growth in Columbus, the growth in Ohio, to?
5: Well, I think again, speaking a little bit more specifically um, about Columbus, but yep. Ohio in general, I think having an NHL team come, what is it? It's twenty years old now, right? Uh, yep. I think we're starting to see those kids that fell in love with hockey because of the blue jackets they're starting to be high school college and pro players now because they're you know some of those kids are between 15 and 20 years old now so I think that is a huge part obviously uh, obviously having an NHL team come to the state of Ohio um, and just the resources they bring and the knowledge um, the hockey knowledge that they bring like I said I'll go back to myself just my dad played basketball, so uh, after a game, he could only tell me, "You worked hard. Good job." You know what I mean. <laughs> so that's, that's all I could do. Um, but just having people like you, yourselves and like uh, the players who have stuck behind, who played for the Blue Jackets, and uh, people involved in the game in in Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati, all over the state, is just huge for the kids. Again, also having the resources like the the triple a programs throughout the state and and high school hockey competitive. It's just so it's, it's great. It's great to see. I love seeing young uh, Ohio hockey players uh, see their names come across my Twitter or, or whatever it is. I just, it's a, a kind of a point of pride for me. I like, it's great to see where the game has evolved and developed throughout the whole state. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can definitely agree with that. And, and I've seen a major,
0: major, difference and it. it's pretty much evening out the uh, uh the teeter-totter if you will uh when it comes to the columbus cleveland toledo area and i in, in youth like so you're talking whether it's double a hockey triple a hockey uh whether it's high school hockey and, and now when you get into your uh midgets and 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 stuff i there's a such a a level playing ground now where it never was before and, and oh god you know man. when
3: you know god. no and i and i agree and,
0: and to be honest with you it's really good for the game it's mm-hmm. really good for the game um you know you look at one of the probably the biggest hotbeds right now of youth hockey when it comes to their youth organizations uh all the way up to u18s and then also their high school levels and because you're seeing a lot of kids you're seeing a lot of kids that are able to leave that high school level now and go and play some junior hockey and then move out we have take- rest- we had Russ Sankiewicz on last week who played for mm-hmm. he was a monstrous guy. Um, you know, you, you played with Alan Hirschfeld who did the same thing, Yep. you know, so, you know, it, we're seeing a lot of that happen too, which is good. Um, yeah. You know, I just want to touch on one other thing before we leave, because I think it's very important that, that the kids and the families hear this that are involved in, in hockey and and coming from a guy like yourself who is, you know, you look at your resume. I mean, you're, you're all Ohio when it comes to hockey, you know, you, you, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I just, I do want to tell you there is hockey outside of Ohio. You know? Yeah, I know. Gosh, I, um, <laughs> I'm i not interested in it. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah. well, we're thankful for that, but you know, you mentioned earlier when you played for coop out in uh, uh, St. Louis, how it was important to have that relationship with your coaches and teammates and you trusted the team, no matter what the level was. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And you speak volumes of that when you decided to end your career and stick with the organization that believed in you with the monsters. Um, so I just wanted to kind of not wrap this interview up on that, but I just think that is a huge point uh, for our young kids and our young families out there, because there are a lot of families out there, Trent, as you know, who uh, whose dad played football or hockey or mom did not, or I'm sorry, football or basketball who did not play hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we can get the word out there that you know trust the people in in the spots you know
5: well absolutely and and you know you you, you trust your coaches like you said and I, feel, I was worried about trying to play against the best competition you know or for whatever reason that was like a stigma you got to play against the best competition which is in the USHL over the NAHL, or which is in um whatever league or state over where, where you are but if you if you're you can develop that competitiveness like we talked about and you're working on your game like the coaches that you have if you have a good relationship want you to go and to go on just as badly as you do you know what i mean they're there to help you do that which you don't realize that at the time right like it looks it's great for you guys if you've got players going on to play d1 college and in the pro ranks like that's your ultimate goal along with winning as well so the play, you know Especially and now that's available for players, for hockey players in Ohio is coaches and levels like that that can that can help them develop, develop along and they can live at home playing high, high levels of hockey um, while doing that. So that's like you said, it's really important and it's something you don't realize as much until you are a coach that there's they want it just as bad for you as you do almost you know and they're going to do everything they can to help if uh if it's really in a in a player's best interest to go somewhere else and play the coach will push you right along and help help you do that you know so um yeah like you said that's a that's 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 really important for young players uh, to understand and young families to understand because a lot of times it, it's, it comes from the parents more so than the kids
0: absolutely absolutely well coach we uh we thank you for joining us today we know uh, you've got the, the little one running around the house so i'm sure you got to get back to work there um, oh it's um it's, this is a nice breather you, you can talk for another hour <laughs> uh, we appreciate you joining us uh good luck uh when the season gets back going uh and um you know don't be a stranger. Come back and join us. Um, and again, it, we appreciate everything uh, today. It was a great interview. Uh, we're glad that everyone here in Cleveland Ohio, the Ohio Hockey Digest, is able to, uh, you know, listen to a guy from Ohio and learn his story. So it was great, man. I appreciate it.
5: Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. And thank you uh, for doing your guys' part to continue growing the game here in Ohio. You guys are uh, doing a great job and and working hard. So it's awesome to see. All right. Thanks, Coach. All right, guys, pleasure, pleasure to meet you all and good luck.
0: Another week in the books. What a great two interviews with Shauna Conway from the Gilmore Prep women's team and Trent Vogelhuber from the Cleveland Monsters. We want to thank both of them for joining us this week. I uh, had a really, really enjoyable time talking to both those guests today. You know, we started with Shauna. What a great thing she's doing with the uh, Gilmore Prep and not only Gilmore Prep, but just a the growth of women's hockey uh, in our state.
1: You know, one of the things that both guests spoke about was the compete level and 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 the work ethic that goes into playing at a higher level and and accomplishing goals you may set for yourself. And Shauna's been all over the world. I mean, she's driven and she's got such a purpose and a passion for the game. And and we're so fortunate to have her to ourselves here in Cleveland. And or to have her here in Cleveland, not to ourselves, obviously she, she branches out. But what a great resource! What a great, what a great voice! What a, just what a great person to have in the game of hockey, which adds to the greatness of our game. And and moving on to Trent and an Ohio guy and his 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 exuberance for for his playing days and and how he came up and and the experiences he had and building good relationships and now transitioning that to being a coach for the Monsters in the American League is. I mean, today was a great show. Today was a lot of fun to listen to, and it was a lot of fun to be a part of, for sure.
0: Yeah, it was, it was nice talking to Trent as well. His, his path uh, from playing Double A hockey to high school hockey at St. Charles in Columbus, then to the brand new organization of the AAA Blue Jackets, leaving uh, Ohio, heading out to St. Louis, playing the North American League, then going and playing in the USHL. Then division one, I, I mean, this guy touched every level of the ladder and, you know, it's proven that you can do it from climbing that ladder. You don't have to skip rings or rungs on that ladder to, to get there. Uh, so that was a great conversation. We look forward to him and, and, and his coaching of the monsters, what he has to uh, when with the monsters get back. You know, the monsters are an awesome organization here in Cleveland and, and also in Ohio with, with their affiliation with the Blue Jackets. Again, we'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode. We'd like to thank the Ohio Hockey Project for sponsoring today's show. Don't forget to go to www.ohiohockeyproject.com and check out Ohio Hockey Project's Ohio Hockey Project at Home program, a daily virtual one-hour session via Zoom, proving that despite the challenges of the stay-at-home order, athletes can still get in a very functional training to keep their skills sharp. You can find the On Air podcast at www.OhioHockeyDigest.com with full episodes, archived as well as a list of future guests. You can also subscribe to On Air on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Make sure to check us out next week when our guests will be from the Toledo Walleye, East Coast Hockey League head coach, Dan Watson. Also former NHLer and current director of Neutral Zone NHL and Neutral Zone Ice Scouting Service, Ian Moran gets On Air. Continue to grow the game the best we can. This is Don Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast.
3: Mr. Worldwide to infinity. You know the roof on fire. We go boogie, hoogie, hoogie, jiggle, wiggle, and dance <laughs> like the roof on fire. We go drink drinks and take shots until we fall out like the roof on fire. Now, baby, get my booty naked, take off all your clothes and light the roof on fire. Tell them, tell them, baby, 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 I'm on fire. I tell her, baby, 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 baby,